Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Andrew Thrasher. Andrew, are you ready to do this? Let's let's get started. Excellent. Let's do this. Andrew is a chartered market technician. He is the portfolio manager at the Financial Enhancement Group, the founder of Thrasher Analytics. He specializes in technical analysis with a focus on market timing, sector rotation strategies, stock selection, and risk management. I'm excited to have you on. Andrew, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sure. So I live uh, with my wife and our dog, Brooke. Uh, dog's name is Brooke. Wife's name is Abby. <laughs> in India, Indianapolis, Indiana. I've been here for the last seven years. Uh, graduated from Purdue University with a degree in financial planning. Um, started out working as an advisor right out of college. Did that for a couple of years. And then main focus was really on the markets. So really wanted to get on the portfolio management side of the business. Um, so shifted over to, to doing that. Started out as an analyst and so I worked my way to becoming a portfolio manager. Um, worked for a firm here in Indy. We have several offices in central Indiana. Uh, managing about uh, what we have probably about 350 370 million in assets uh, primarily for for clients that are focused on retirement um, we do a lot of retirement planning um, but invest in individual stocks ETFs uh, we don't really use mutual funds or individual bonds we think that's so really stick on the on the equity side and, and use ETFs for bond allocation um, but like you said I, I do primarily technical analysis um, I work with with my partner Adam, and he does more of the, the the fundamental type work. He's a CFA, uh, but my focus is very much on the charts, the price action. Um, what's the market trying to uh, trying to tell us? Excellent. So you you, you touched on it a little bit. Um, you are a CMT chartered market technician. How is that different than than a CFA? Sure. So CFA, the um, the biggest difference is a CFA really wants to look at valuation of of a market or individual stocks. Um, they spend a great deal of time um, diving into to balance sheets and income statements, and they really wanted to look into break up a, a company or or a market or what what have you, and really understand the inner workings. Where a CMT, we're really less concerned about the the valuation side of things, and really want to see what the market from a supply demand perspective. So I'm less concerned with with the cash flow of GE um, and how much uh, cars that GM is making, so to speak. I really want to know, does the market um, think that their stock price should be going higher or lower based off of the, the chart? Um, what, which direction is price headed? And then looking at different indicators on price. So how is how is momentum looking uh, for, for that chart uh, or for that sector, or for that market or commodity or whatever you want to look at? Um, so really not trying to, to, to force our bias onto the market as a, as a CMT, um, saying that we know what the valuation should be and the, the price is undervalued or overvalued really allowing the market to to tell us what the valuation or what the, the company's worth based off of the supply and demand of price. Cool. All right. So when we talk about, or rather, when I, I'm a person who obviously pays attention to, to financial media and talking heads and sure. all that kind of stuff, we talk about market timing. That's oftentimes spoke or talked about as something that's really difficult to do and that's something we shouldn't try and do, yet that's something that you do. 
Yeah, it's funny when market timing, just the, those two for, two words, market timing, has such a, a negative connotation. But I would love for someone to show where any type of investing is not market timing. Everything that you're you're any type of putting money to risk within the market, you're you're making you're you're timing that investment, whether you're doing it today or tomorrow. Uh, if you're investing off of valuation, you're timing that you think the over time the valuation will rise and meet your expectation as the stock price increases. That's market timing. Um, whether you're just the the inputs may change and be different for for person A to person B, um, but basically every type of investment investing to some degree is market timing. Um, now that the time frame of that market timing may be different, you may be looking to invest over multiple years. Um, but still, you're you're timing the market in the sense of by putting equity or putting money to risk within within the financial system. Um, so yeah, it's market timing on the short term basis, people trying to day trade or things like that. That's a lot riskier and and has its own uh, own set of of ideals to it. Um, but every, everything is really market timing. Um, it just gets a kind of a bad connotation in the media. Uh, but I think kind of un- unjustly so. Yeah, fair enough. I, I guess whenever we are making the decision to buy or sell uh, some kind of an investment, we are we are timing the market at at some level. But I think that traditionally, when people think about that, they're they're trying to beat maybe a general market index, mm-hmm. and so they're trying to find that alpha. So they're trying to buy low and then sell high and and just be smarter. Um, but what is when 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 you're talking about market timing when when you're focusing on it how does that really manifest itself so the the sense of what i market timing is is more um really wanting to be in the right types of assets at the right time so it's i'm i'm looking at a shorter term time frame my time frame is is more weeks and months um more heavily on the, on the weeks side side of that of that equation okay. um and so it's really for our clients we're not trying to shoot the shoot for the moon and look for 30% returns every year. That that's not our goal for for the assets that we manage. We're really more focused on asset preservation. Um, really trying to for all the, the the years of savings that they've been doing as they're trying to prepare for retirement. Really trying to preserve those assets, and we're also seeking out some accumulation. And so we do that through trying to time the right sectors to be in or, or the right stocks um, to get the kind of the meat of those uptrends. At the same time, while trying to protect on the downside, um, risk management is our probably our number one focus in really trying to manage the downside risks. So like the market right now, where since September, really, we've been kind of in this downtrend. So right now, our focus isn't trying to find um, stocks that maybe are going higher. We're really trying to kind of batten down the hatches and really try to manage the downside risk um, until the market environment is uh, a little bit more favorable. So we're not we're not always trying to, to find accumulation. There's There's different market environments and periods of time where I think it's important to really focus on downside risk versus upside uh, appreciation. And I think kind of that's where we're at right now with with our models. Got it. I, I appreciate that very much. And that's probably how I should have started the conversation was just talking about what your approach to investing is and what your philosophies are. I'm sure that you probably have different strategies that, that you're using depending on sure. the client's risk tolerance and what they're trying to accomplish in their time horizon, all those kinds of things. Um, do you want to go deeper into that? Yeah, we run um, we run two kind of more tactical models, and then we run several uh, kind of core models. So your your typical growth, balance, conservative type of risk uh, risk tolerance type models, um, and they're they're longer hold periods. So we'll hold positions in in there for much longer time periods because we're very tax conscious. So we don't want to be ratcheting up too much short term gains for for somebody's maybe individual account or trust account, um, just for kind of broad examples. And then we run two shorter term, more tactical portfolios. 
where we have a little bit more trading activity, um, where we're really trying to maybe seek out a little bit more alpha and those types of models. Um, for clients that really are trying to, to have a, a larger focus on accumulation, um, just kind of depends on what their financial plan is based off their their conversations and work with with their, uh, their advisor, with our firm. Got it. Excellent. So you are certainly of the mind that, well, you're, I, are you of the mind that you are able to outperform the market? I think there's, there's been plenty of examples of people outperforming the market. I think time frame is what's critical there. Um, I don't need to outperform the market yesterday or today. Um, I really don't need to outperform the market at all. That's, that's not our end goal. Our end goal for our clients is really um, not necessarily setting the market as the barometer, but trying to meet their financial goals. So everyone always references back to how you did against the S&P 500 or, right. or some arbitrary index. Um, what they don't realize, what we try to educate our clients on, is the S&P 500 doesn't retire. The S&P 500 doesn't have an end date of <laughs> what those assets are for. They're not trying to buy a house. They're not trying to pay for a college tuition for maybe a, a, a child or grandchild. There's no goal there. Whereas they do have a goal. They have um, emotions and, and they can feel every tick of the, their account value going up and down. And they maybe have plans for those money in, in several years or maybe 10 or 15 years. So we're really trying to manage towards meeting those expectations versus an index that's being changed kind of behind closed doors by people at Stinnard and Poor's that you, you really have no control over and really doesn't impact your life. Um, when you hit retirement and if you do the stereotypical move to Florida, you don't get to wear a special badge that said, I outperformed the market for five of the last 10 years. <laughs> there's, there's no extra gold star in your retirement door in your nursing home when you're 90 because <laughs> you've had better performance than the Dow. Um, so those, those things are so are very arbitrary, but I think part of it is just a lack of education for the investor class. They don't know what else to compare it to. Um, they, they hear people talk about uh, from a mutual fund that they outperformed, this mutual fund outperformed on their last three and five years. So because they don't have anything else, any other barometer, that's kind of the one they adapt to. Um, so there's a lot of financial advisors kind of have to to wean off those bad habits that they've, they've learned throughout the years to realize that it's really setting themselves as their own barometer uh, and meeting their goals and needs. Um, and you can have a lot more success with, with investing that way, uh, especially in downturns like right now where the market's off 10 Twenty percent, um, and it's, it's it's not focused on what the market's doing. It's focusing on are you still on the right trajectory to meet your goals, and that makes the conversations about kind of managing risk and, and exposures in portfolios a much more fruitful conversation. Agreed. I have this image in my head of a eighty-year-old person in a nursing home in Florida <laughs> angrily ripping their badge off off of their chest and throwing it on the ground right now. <laughs> so okay so you've been you've probably been passionate about the markets for a very long time um in the amount of time that you've been paying attention to where we are today do you perceive that the market's changed is it more volatile what's why is it behaving the way that it is i think we we, we have especially volatilities um is something that I'm, I'm very passionate about i think we see cycles of it in 2017 was one of the, the lowest volatile years in, in history um, so shocker that 2018 has kind of been the reverse of that with what we saw happen in February right. with the, the VIX explosion higher and then here recently. Um, so I think we do see cycles of volatility, um, which is very normal market history. When you look back, this is this is not um, overly unique. Uh, this isn't the, the snowflake of markets. This is pretty normal. Um, so I think it, and that's that's what 
requires a steady hand and being able to manage that and understanding that, yes, there's been some more volatility this year, um, but that's that's just part of part of being investing. Um, so I, I, I do. Yeah, I do think that there are different seasons and I think things are a little bit more volatile right now. Does that mean it will be next year? We don't know. We kind of have to, to, to see what the market throws at us and then evaluate from that point going forward. Um, can't just assume that just because there's high frequency trading and algos and they've now changed all the market. It, that, that's that's not true. Um, it's still those algorithms are built by humans and there's human emotion built inside of them um, just from their creators. And so I don't think there's really that much different uh, type of market structure now than there was in, in the, uh, the 2000s. Got it. Appreciate that. So what are some of the key indicators that you follow on a daily basis, weekly basis, quarterly basis? So you mean from, from a charting perspective? Yes. Sure. So one of the, the things that I, I pretty much have on all my charts, so if I were to kind of have a default chart, um, it would be the relative strength index, so the RSI. It's a pretty common common tool. It's used to, to measure uh, momentum. And so what I want to see is is – Everything has momentum to some degree, whether it's rising momentum, a stock going higher, and so momentum's rising as, as price goes higher, or it can have moment, um, rising momentum as stocks go lower. Um, I, I view the market as if you were to take a, a tennis ball and throw it in the air. Uh, it's going to speed up as it, as it goes higher, but then it begins to slow down before it peaks. And so that's what I often want to look for um, with our portfolios and, and looking for investment opportunities is when those that momentum begins to diverge. So as that tennis ball begins to slow before it finally peaks out, same thing with the market with stocks. That momentum often, again, not always, but often will begin to slow before we start to see a trend change um, within that, that underlying chart, whether it's a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever whatever time frame we look at. Typically, momentum when momentum begins to, to decline um, and diverge, whether it's uh, when stocks are going up or down, um, we often will see a trend change. So I'm oft, always looking at momentum. I want to know what the momentum is of, of whatever I'm charting. Um, and I also like to look at, at volume. I think volume is very important um, and, and evaluating whether to, to build a track kind of money flow. Again, at the end of the day, it's all about supply and demand and volume is a way to measure that. Um, so the, the two that I probably spend the most time looking at are different ways to evaluate uh, volume and then looking at, at momentum. Excellent. So you are paying really close attention, obviously, to the to the overall market and what it's doing. You said that one of your partners is maybe paying closer attention to individual equities. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of uh, the introduction I gave you was that you are interested in um, picking or selecting individual stocks. So how right. do you bring those two worlds together? So it, it, we, we pair pretty well together. So we'll, we're constantly talking. And so um, if there's something that I'm seeing as a, as a chart of XYZ stock is setting up to where I think it could go higher, um, I'll talk with him about it. He'll kind of look under the hood and see, is this fundamentally a, a sound company? Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily the 30% revenue growth with the book to value to blah, 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 whatever it is. As long as the, the stock doesn't look broken, if we're investing from a technical perspective, then uh, then it kind of gets put on our watch list to look for an entry. Um, kind of the same way, the opposite way, if he starts looking at companies through his screens uh, and says, hey, this, this company makes a lot of sense. I think it's probably undervalued. I think it could go higher based off of sales growth or whatever it is that he's looking at. Um, then I'll look at it from a technical standpoint. How, what is the market? Is, is there potential for, for appreciation on the chart side? Is supply demand supportive of kind of what he's seen within the, the inner workings of the company? And so we try to pair them together 
to where um, maybe I'm more focused on on the, the technical side, but still want to want to own solid solid companies that aren't um, ideally going to be the next Enron or WorldCom. Right. Um, and at the same time, he wants to to find companies that maybe have a a catalyst from a fundamental viewpoint. Um, but again, what pays price is what pays, and so just because the company is undervalued. It's how the market dictates that valuation. That that's what uh, leads to portfolio uh, uh, portfolio values being able to go higher. So we need the market to to start to agree. So that's what we look at from a technical standpoint. Saying okay, this this company maybe is is going to go up in value, and then we look for confirmation in the chart. So we we try to pair the fundamentals with the technicals and and do that kind of to different degrees depending on who came up with the, the initial idea. Um, but we try to get support on on both ends. Makes sense. So. If people are listening and they say, you know what, this this sounds really great, it sounds cool, I would like to learn more about this, um, how would you coach an ordinary investor to educate themselves, not from you know zero to a hundred, but just yeah. to get started learning about some of the things you've been talking about? I think the some I'm a I'm a, a big reader. I, I really like to read a lot of um, finance books, um, which maybe aren't the most entertaining. <laughs> it's not the next John Grisham. Sure. A book or whoever, great. I don't even know a lot of uh, nonfiction authors, um, but I would think there, there's a lot of great books out there. Some of my favorites. Um, I, I do a lot of growth style investing. William O'Neill wrote a great book, very popular, called How to Make Money in Stocks. I think it does a great job of looking at at, at actually pairing together the fundamentals and technicals. Um, William O'Neill's is a big believer in that and in finding fundamentally sound companies that that are setting up on their charts. So I think that's a great place to go. Um, Edwards and McGee has written some of the, the best books on technical analysis. I think the Market Wizards books um, for, are great for people just wanting to get started investing. Um, there are a series of interviews with some of the best traders throughout history and how they view the market, and they're all different, and they all trade different markets. So it kind of gives a broad view of, of investing um, in commodities or Forex or stocks or bonds or people running hedge funds or mutual funds or, or kind of different different flavors of, of investing. Um, if you really want to get into technicals, one of my favorite technical analysis books is, um, techn- it's uh, called Technical Analysis for the Trading Professional by Constance Brown. Um, she wrote a, a really great book that that looks at the relative strength index. She does a lot of work with that. Um, that really helped solidify my interest in, in using the RSI indicator. Um, so I think those are kind of the, be able to read and, and kind of devour some of the market information from a book perspective and less so from financial media or or social media. There's a lot of great things on social media, but it can just be overwhelming. So I would say start with some of the um, foundational books like like William O'Neill, Constant Brown, Edward McGee, um, and just kind of start start there and then find what type of uh, style of investing that you're, you're most fits your personality and, and interest and, and kind of go from there. Excellent. Well, Andrew, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? I would say my difference-making tip is really being able to to manage on the, on the emotion side and be able to have a process that you can follow. So like I said, those, those books can help maybe carve out a process, but being able to really have a solid, solid process that you could write out, literally write out your process on a pad of paper and be able to reference that um, when when maybe the market's trading against you. Um, but being able to have something that you can you can – as a bedrock to, to lean on versus just trying to kind of go with the winds of the, of the market and constantly trading the way you, you, you place trades, but really have a, have a solid process, I think is, is the biggest tip. And it takes a long time to develop. It's not something that you can do in a single day or week or month. 
um, but put a lot of focus in and having a repeatable process uh, helps um, when when the markets get tough. I think that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Sure. So I, I tweet quite a bit. On, I'm on Twitter uh, pretty often, at Andrew Thrasher. Um, I also blog, do a lot of technical analysis on my blog at athrasher.com. Um, so those are probably the two best places to find uh, some of my research and would love to, to connect. So shoot me a message there and I'm always happy to answer questions. Awesome. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Andrew your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Follow him on Twitter and also uh, check out his blog. And I'll list both of those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Andrew. I appreciate having me on. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.